So we're going to look at Jesus and the festival of Sukkot or the festival of shelters or the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles. Um, before we get to John chapter 7, we're going to try to head there by way of a few other passages. To start with, find the last chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus, of course, second book of the Bible. If you look at the last chapter of the book of Exodus, which is chapter 40, there's a, there's a small section here that, that climaxes the book of Exodus that you need to glance at to understand the festival of Sukkot. As you're turning to Exodus chapter 40, let me um, uh, remind you about how the festival is observed. Uh, in, in the Jewish world today, in the festival of Sukkot, which occurs, of course, they keep a lunar calendar, so their dates move, but it occurs somewhere from the end of September through the early days of October. Uh, so it occurs at the end of the harvest, or during the harvest. Um, if you were to observe Sukkot, Sukkot today as an Orthodox Jew, you, you would build a tabernacle. You would build a temporary three-sided uh, dwelling in your backyard or on your balcony or on your roof, you'd build that, that temporary dwelling. And you would, for seven days, seven or eight days, you would uh, take your meals in that dwelling. If you have little kids and they push you, you may spend the night in that dwelling and have fun doing that. But you'd take your meals in that dwelling. Uh, the reason, and there's lots of other things that go on with Sukkot, but the reason the building of those temporary three-sided, fairly small dwellings, and if you can, you build them out of uh, branches and limbs and leaves. The reason that's done in Sukkot is by living in the booths, or those sukkah, or Sukkot plural, or living in those shelters, it reminds the Jewish people of the wilderness wanderings. Um, and as we continue to look at the Jewish festivals, of course, Passover, that's redemption, that's leaving slavery. The next one is what we call uh, the Festival of Pentecost, what they call in Hebrew, uh, Shavuot. That's the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. See the progression. You know, they leave, leave Egypt, they get the law at Mount Sinai. Uh, this holiday, which is one of the three major pilgrimage festivals, this holiday, Sukkot, reminds them of their wilderness wanderings. Reminds them of making their way through the desert for 40 years where they lived in temporary housing. Um, you can call them tents, booths, shelters, tabernacles. They lived in temporary housing for those 40 years they made their wilderness wanderings. So um, the Jewish people re remember this uh, for lots of reasons. One, by, by celebrating Sukkot, and this is one of the reasons Sukkot's the most joyful of the festivals. One of the ancient rabbis wrote and said, if you have not seen the joy of Sukkot, you have never experienced joy. Uh, the festival is very joyful. Um, but it reminds them that God provides. And those wilderness wandering, God provided. Um, you know, the shoes didn't wear out, according to the book of Exodus. They had um, quail from heaven. They had manna from heaven. They had water from the rock. Uh, but various ways God provided for them as they made their, their way through the wilderness. So um, the festival of Sukkot reminds them that God provides. 
Now, again, the festival of Sukkot is happening uh, during the harvest, which again, if, you, if you're an agricultural people in agricultural land, uh, the harvest is really important to you. With no harvest, no life. But when the harvest is being brought in, again, you're being reminded God has provided for you. So the festival of Sukkot does several things, but it reminds the Jewish people uh, that God has always provided. God is always taking care of them. Um, so with that being said, look at the last chapter of the book of Exodus. I'm going to show you a few scattered texts to help you get the feel of Sukkot, to help you get the feel of what this festival means for um, the Jewish people, and to understand why Jesus went back to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival in uh, John chapter 7. If you look at verse 34 of Exodus 40, uh, this is, in a sense, the climax of the book of uh, Exodus. Look at the text. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Remember, led by pillar of fire at night, cloud during the day. That's Again, God provided, God led them through the wilderness. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, or tent. It's actually called tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Um, the glory of the Lord and this tabernacle are closely associated, and you need to hold those two things together. Um, the tent of meeting, which most of us tend to call the tabernacle, that was the temporary dwelling place of God, the temporary center of worship for the Israelite people as they were wandering in the wilderness. A lot of literature uh, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy about the tabernacle, how it was built, how it symbolized the presence of God. So the tabernacle... The tent of meeting, same thing, was uh, the, the, the worship structure that, that moved with the Hebrew people as they moved on the wilderness wandering. Now, eventually, eventually that tabernacle gets replaced by what during the reign of King Solomon? Temple. That's the permanent dwelling. But up to the temples built, this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, uh, and they're given very specific instructions as to how it's built, how it's furnished. Uh, that was the center of the presence of God in their waterings as, as, they, as they made their journey. So back to verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord uh, filled the tabernacle. When you get to First Second Chronicles, First Second Kings, you're going to see the glory of the Lord fill the temple. Um, well, in, in Ezekiel, you're going to actually see an image of the glory of the Lord leaving the temple uh, in the book of Ezekiel. Um, in uh, Acts chapter 2 of our testament, in Acts chapter 2, uh, if, you, if you follow the glory of the Lord, where the glory of the Lord is residing throughout history, tabernacle, tent of meeting, temple, Acts chapter 2, where does the glory of the Lord come to reside? You folks, us. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God dwelling in us. So you can almost study the scriptures by following the glory of the Lord, where it goes to. Um, but you do have an image of it, going to the tabernacle, going to the temple, leaving the temple. And then you, in Acts chapter 2, it's the Spirit, the glory of the Lord coming among us. Uh, the word that's usually associated with the glory of the Lord, and sometimes you hear churches name this, 
Uh, there's some ministries named this. It, it's the Shekinah, or Shekinah, or Shekinah in Hebrew. So the Shekinah is the glory of the Lord. Uh, the, keep in mind now, from a New Testament Christian perspective, the glory of the Lord inhabits us. That's why we are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the glory of the Lord. We are where the glory of the Lord resides. But in the Hebrew Bible, the, the, the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah, first dwelt in the, the tabernacle slash tent of meeting during those temporary transitional days. And then a beautiful image in, 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 um, uh, in the Kings and the Chronicles literature of the glory of the Lord taking up residence in the temple. So back to the text. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So you should kind of get the impression the glory of the Lord is filling the tabernacle. Throughout all their, throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. They followed the cloud. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So the tent of meeting of the tabernacle glowed at night. They could see the glory of the Lord residing in the tent or the tabernacle. So, back to Sukkot. During the season of Sukkot, while they're living in tabernacles, tents, dwellings, shelters, while they're living there, they're remembering how the glory of the Lord uh, was with them through the journeyings, how the glory of the Lord, how God's presence led them by day, uh, by fire, and, or by cloud, and by evening, by, by pillar of fire, how God provided for, for them. So the Sukkot, Sukkah season reminds them of that. But yeah, these two things connected. Hold on to these. Yeah, these two things connected. The tabernacle, or the dwelling, where God is dwelling, and um, you know God is dwelling there because of the Shekinah glory. Um, now, let me just show you one other text as we make our way to John's Gospel. Go and find Zechariah. You may need to ask a Baptist at your table. <laughs> but find your way to Zechariah. Now, you Methodists know where Zechariah is, too, I hope. John Wesley would, would want you Methodists to know where Zechariah is. Find, it's almost toward the end of the Hebrew Bible. There's an amazing um, vision in the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 14. It's a vision of the coming day of the Lord. And we know from all the Hebrew prophets, the day of the Lord is the day, of, um, uh, the day when God wraps up human history. Uh, the day when the kingdom comes. The day when God's justice prevails. The day when the kingdom of God is established on this earth. That's the day of the Lord. I uh, have lots of images of the day of the Lord throughout the Hebrew Bible and, and to the New Testament. So here is part of Zechariah's image of the day of the Lord. Uh, throughout the Hebrew Bible, uh, the day of the Lord always is centered on the earthly Jerusalem. The earthly Jerusalem becomes the city that God intended the earthly Jerusalem to be. The glory of the Lord will take up residence again in the earthly city of Jerusalem. Uh, so look at this text. It's a fascinating text here. Look at this text, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. This is after the day of the Lord, after the kingdom is established, uh, after um, the glory of the Lord is prevailing again in Jerusalem. Uh, 
Look at verse 16, chapter 14. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem, again, part of that day of the Lord is the vanquishing of evil, and part of the vanquishing of evil is evil comes against the holy city. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to do what? Yep, to keep the fest, festival of booths or tabernacles or sukkah, sukkot. You, you probably don't have a, anywhere in your Christian file an image of the eternal life as being an eternal sukkot. But it is. As a matter of fact, the New Testament tells you that. We'll look at it. But eternal life is going to be an eternal celebration of the festival of booths um, where God will dwell with us in God's Shekinah glory, will dwell with us. So Zechariah wants you to know that. So just to repeat, verse 16, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come up against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, shame on you. Uh, but the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. So if you don't participate in this eternal festival of booths, uh, you will suffer as a result of it. Verse 18, And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, see how history is going to come full circle. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast, feast of booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do, no, do not go up to keep the feast of booths. So eternity is sort of seen as a festival of booths, an eternal festival of booths, spiritual, spiritual keeping of the festival of booths. Uh, to show you that that idea is very much in the New Testament, uh, let me show you one more text before we get to the Gospel of John. Look at John's Revelation, um, last book of the Bible. Look at chapter 21. And you know this one, you've heard this many times. Except being a good Gentile, when you hear the word tabernacle, you, I don't know what you think of it. You probably think about those Mormons out in Salt Lake City. But when you hear the word tabernacle, you need to think of the tabernacle as, as in the Bible. Look at chapter 21. You hear this read all the time at funerals. This is John's vision of what Zechariah was seeing. This is John's vision of the end. Uh, chapter 21, verse 1 and following. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold the tabernacle, or dwelling place, of God is with us. So uh, an eternal dwelling of God with us, an eternal tabernacling of God with us. This is what eternity looks like, an eternal tabernacling of the Shekinah glory with us. Um, yeah, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, or the dwelling place, uh, the Sukkot of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them uh, as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So eternity, even in the Christian uh, tradition, is pictured as a um, celebration of Sukkot on steroids. That's what heaven's pictured as. Um, Because again, Sukkot celebrates the presence of the provision, the protection of God with us. Uh, in, in, the, in the Jewish festival of Sukkot, they just remember how God took care of them in the wilderness wanderings. Uh, but that's not where the story stops. Uh, you see uh, this connection with the eternal keeping of God's people by God, eternal tabernacling. So, this, every time you hear tabernacle, uh, this is the sort of stuff you should remember in, in the New Testament or Old Testament, New Testament. So let me make a quick jump at John chapter 1. Go to the first chapter of John's Gospel, the prologue. Which if you were in church on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, uh, this prologue of John's Gospel almost certainly was read. It has always been the appointed text for uh, the celebration of Christmas. You kind of get the story of Christmas in Luke's gospel with the wise men thrown in in Matthew's gospel. But here's the real story of Christmas. And that's why this is the appointed text for the celebration of Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. Uh, And it's very familiar. It's the prologue to John's gospel. So everything else in John's gospel is fleshing this prologue out. This prologue is introducing you to everything that's going to be said in John's gospel. So you you remember the words. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, okay, so here's the Word. Here's the Word that was with God. Here's the Word that was God. Jump down to verse 14. Um, And the Word, and this is why we came to church on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and the Word became flesh. And did what? Dwelled among us or tabernacled among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacle among us, and we have seen what? His glory. Remember the connection between glory, Shekinah, tabernacle, booths, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen the glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, let me give you another history, and I didn't do it a few minutes ago on purpose. I'll, I'll fill in the blank now. Let me give you the full history of the wanderings of the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God led the children of Israel by day and by night, then, then took up residence in the tabernacle, as the tabernacle then moves with them during the wilderness wanderings. Uh, the tabernacle continued to uh, house the Shekinah glory of God. And then when Solomon builds the temple of stone in Jerusalem, the Shekinah glory of God takes up residency in the temple. And the temple is is where the Shekinah glory of God resides. Then, of course, the temple gets destroyed first by the Babylonians, 586 B.C. Uh, it's rebuilt, uh, continues to be rebuilt all during the time of Jesus. That's why we refer to Jesus' temple as the second temple. Um, uh, but the temple never never recaptures its glory. The second temple never recaptures, no matter how hard Herod tried, the second temple never recaptured the glory of Solomon's temple. Um, didn't need to because uh, around the year zero, really 4 B.C., 
um, the Shekinah glory showed up in a different way. Not in a tabernacle, not in a temple, but the Shekinah glory of God showed up how? In Jesus. Jesus is the Shekinah glory of God. Walking planet Earth. He took flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. The Shekinah glory of God tabernacled among us. Then, of course, uh, you have Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension. He goes back to the Father. But then where does the Shekinah glory go? Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. So um, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God, the presence of God, the tabernacling of God is now with the, the Christian community. And we Paul calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple. We are the spiritual temple of the Holy Spirit. We are where the Shekinah glory of God resides. So on so many levels, uh, Sukkot, tabernacles, where God's hanging out, the tabernacling of God, the Shekinah glory, how and where the glory of God is revealed, are all very significant. Very significant. That's why when... Um, in Jesus' day, when, when they celebrated Sukkot, and it was one of three, you have, you have three of the seven, you have three pilgrimage festivals in Jesus' day, uh, commanded by the Bible. If at all possible, Passover, Shavuot, Pentecost, and Sukkot, or booths, those are the three uh, pilgrimage festivals you made your way back to Jerusalem. So, with that being said, Sukkot's about to happen. Uh, so... Um, People are leaving the Galilee where Jesus lives, you know, up north. They're leaving the Galilee. Sometimes they leave by uh, virtue of, sometimes whole villages travel together. Uh, We certainly know families traveled together. Uh, But devout Jews left um, around the world if they could. But particularly Galilee was not that far away from Jerusalem. They left and made their way down to Jerusalem. So all of that takes us now to John chapter 7. So turn to John chapter 7. I'm getting there almost a week in advance so that we can spend more time slowly in John 7 and 8 because it's fascinating stuff. And again, John knows that um, in, in, in the gospel, chapter 7, 8, and 9, all takes place during Sukkot. But I'm afraid those Gentiles who read this don't pay attention to that. But, you know, whether the Bible gives you a geographical reference or the Bible gives you a calendar reference like it does in John chapter 7. You need to pay attention to the geographical reference. You need to pay attention to the calendar reference. So look with me at John chapter 7. And we'll just kind of wet our feet a little bit at the beginning of this section. So, chapter 7 verse 1, Gospel of John. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Now, remember how I said that almost all of John's gospel has these festivals in the background. In, uh, when you were in chapter 6, you were hanging out around Passover through chapter 6. So in chapter 7, we're getting ready to head to booths. That's why here in chapter 7, where it says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. You need to insert about six months right here because you're moving from the spring festival of Passover to the fall festival of booths. So um, that's why chapter 6, you're in the uh, spring festival of Passover. Uh, In chapter 7, you're heading to booths. Uh, Verse 1 continues. This is interesting. I want you to watch Jesus' behavior. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews 
were seeking to kill him. Now, we talked at length, and we've talked repeatedly since we started in September, that in John's Gospel, every time you see the phrase, the Jews, that um, it's the, the Greek there is the Udioi. Who are the Jews that's being referenced? Almost, almost all the 60 times that phrase occurs in John's Gospel. Who are the Jews? Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, the religious leaders, the religious rulers. If you don't hold that in mind, you think all the Jews hate Jesus. All the Jews in Jerusalem in the first century hate Jesus. All the Jews came at Jesus. Uh, every time the phrase the Jews occurs is the eudaioi, which really means I, I, wish, I wish we would at least translate the Judeans because it's just a particular group of Jews that live in Judea around Jerusalem. I, almost, I really wish we'd kind of add some explanation to it and say the Judean religious leaders there in Jerusalem. That's who's coming after Jesus constantly in the Gospel of John. And Jesus knows that. The Gospel of John's built around that truth, which is why Jesus would not go about in Judea because the Jews, the Judean religious leaders, were seeking to kill him. He, he's fine up in the Galilee. He's fine up in the Galilee. Some of you have been there with me. It's quite a little bit, little, particularly in first century, it's quite a little bit of distance between the Galilee and Judea. So up in the Galilee, uh, where you have Jews and non-Jews, um, that's, that's where 80% of Jesus' ministry took place, up in the Galilee. They're on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. That's, that's where Jesus' ministry took place. But being a good Jew, he keeps making his trips to Jerusalem. And every time he makes his trips to Jerusalem, there may be as many as four in the Gospel of John. Every time he makes his trip to Jerusalem, yeah, they want to kill him down there. The religious leaders who are terribly threatened by Jesus want to kill him down there. So he's hanging out in Galilee. Life is good for Jesus in Galilee. That's where most of his miracles occur in Galilee. There's only been one miracle, even in the Gospel of John, there's only been one miracle thus far in Jerusalem. We'll talk about that later. But all of his miracles up in the Galilee. Life is good for Jesus in Galilee. But you see it says here, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Judean religious leaders were seeking to kill him. But guess what? It's time for him to go to Jerusalem. Verse 2. Now the Jews, those Judean religious leaders, or the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. That may be referencing the Jews' Feast of Booths for a couple reasons. Uh, Jewish groups in the first century took, they kept different calendars. Because um, keeping of the calendar and knowing when the holy days are is very important to the Jewish faith. Uh, we know that Qumran, out the Dead Sea, they had their own calendar that differed from the calendar that was kept in Jerusalem. Uh, there's been some speculation that even the Jews up in the Galilee kept a calendar different. From, um, from the Jews around Jerusalem and Judea. So there could be different Passovers going on, different Sukkots going on, different Shavuots going on. But one way or another, the Gospel of John wants you to know that he's, he's got to go to Jerusalem because their, their uh, festival booths is, is about to happen. Now, you need to understand this to get Gospel of John. And this is going to become a big issue in chapter 7. Is Jesus Judean or Galilean? Where is he born? Bethlehem of Judah. He is Judean. Now he's hanging out up here in Galilee. 
um, is they're going to have the conversation later on in this chapter about where are you from, Jesus? Because um, he's living in Galilee. He's living as a Galilean, but really is a Judean. He's one of these Judeans, which may be why he's going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Judean festival of booths when they do it, because he's a Judean. Um, he, there's only one disciple of Jesus's who's Judean, not Galilean. Who's that one disciple that is Judean? And it fits perfectly to the story as you know it. Who's the one Judean disciple of Jesus? Judas. His name tells you he's Judean. Judas. So the only, and when, when the twelve were together with Jesus, you had two Judeans in the room. The rest of them were Galileans in the room. All Jews, but different regions. Anyway, so the Jews were seeking to kill him, but now it's time for the Jews or the Judean Feast of Booths. That's where you can tell what your translation does. Your translation may say Feast of Shelters, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, whatever. It's, it's, it's Sukkot, the holiday of Sukkot. So we know that sometime in late September, early October. Now the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. So his brothers, you know, Jesus has brothers and sisters. Um, you're told that in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, he has brothers and sisters in the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark. You're told the names of the four brothers. Uh, they don't feel the need to tell you the names of the sisters, which is probably very first century. But you're told the names of the four brothers in, uh, in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, third chapter. So here are these same brothers. And it's kind of a fun Bible study. Just trace what you learn from the brothers, about the brothers in the Gospels. Basically, it's pretty simple. Um, Mary and Joseph do have other children. They're named. You give names of the boys. You're not giving the names of the girls. Um, in the Roman Catholic tradition, because they have to keep Mary perpetually a virgin, uh, they say they're cousins. In the Greek Orthodox tr tradition, who tries to keep Mary perpetually a virgin, they say they're, they're, they're brothers from Joseph's first marriage. Um, uh, Protestants don't have to do either one of those. We can say Jesus was virgin born, first born of Mary, but then Mary and Joseph got about normal business after that and had other kids. But we know that there's brothers or half-brothers. They're ha Theologically, they're half-brothers because they may share, they sh we think they share, share Mary, um, maybe share Joseph, uh, don't share God's don't share Jesus' father, but so they're half-brothers. So, they, so we, we know they're there. We know they're there in the life of Jesus. Here they occur in John chapter 7. Uh, we are told here and elsewhere they do not believe in Jesus at this point. They think Jesus is a little touched in his head with some of the stuff he's saying. Uh, remember, there's that one famous passage in Mark chapter 6 where Mary and the brothers go to get him to take him home because he's saying strange things. Remember that text? So they don't believe him. They believe in him after the resurrection. We know that from the gospel, from the gospels, and particularly the book of Acts. They believe him after the resurrection. You know, dead men getting up, coming to visit with you, do remarkable things. Um, they they believe in him after the resurrection, and his brother James becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. We know that in the book of Acts, chapter fifteen. But at this point, at this point, they just know they got a very special brother who's weird and different and odd. They, had, they don't yet believe in him. They are good Jews. They're getting ready to go to Jerusalem um, for, for the festival booths. So they, they're going to um, invite Jesus to go. But watch what Jesus does. Um, verse 2. Now the Jews 
feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. Because of what we know about the history of these brothers, and they don't believe in him yet, most of us assume he's, they're being a little cynical at this point. He's saying, why don't you go, go down there, uh, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples, your Judean friends, because you're Judean, that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, to make sure you don't get confused, John gives you first verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. That's why we know what he said. What they, what they just said was cynical. They say, okay, Jesus, you're really full of yourself. Why don't you go down, let's, go, let's, all, go, let's all go to Judea, to Jerusalem, and you can just show everybody who you think you are down there. So they're sort of being cynical, probably taunting him, maybe even mocking him, because at verse 6, um, you know, well, verse 5, they, you're told they don't believe him in him yet. They will eventually. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Well, he's not going to be controlled by his brothers, his non-believing brothers. He's certainly not going to be controlled by his non-believing brothers. And even if he, and this is sort of what you see, even though he kind of wants to go to Jerusalem for the festival of booths, he's not going to go if it, because his brothers told him to do that. Uh, he says his time is not yet here. Uh, in John's gospel, his time or his hour almost always refers to his death, burial, and resurrection. My time is not yet. My time is not yet. My hour is at hand. His death, burial, and resurrection. It's not time for that to happen yet. So it's not time for him to be killed yet. But your time is always here, he says to his brothers. So because we're looking at the relationship, that's, that can't be a compliment. Can't be a compliment. Look at the relationship. Can't be a compliment. The reason their time's always here is this world is under the sway of the evil one, and they are participating with the evil one. So this is their territory. This is their home turf where the en enemy's presence. Is there. They're always at home here in this world. Be careful where you're at home at. Uh, I mean, you know, where you are at home in what areas you are at home, with what people with whom you are at home, may say some things about you you don't want said. But um, his brothers are very much at home in this world. Their time is always here. Verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Yeah, the world doesn't hate the brothers, because they're right there with the world. They are cobbing carpies of the world. They're participating in the world. They're unbelieving at this point. Um, so the world doesn't hate those brothers because they're participating with, with the world. They're worldly. But, of course, the world hates Jesus at this point. Verse 8, notice this is interesting. You, you go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Look at verse 8 there a second, and we'll start wrapping up right here. Look at verse 8. You're, you go up to the feast, for I am not going to the feast. Now, depending on what translation you have, there should be like a little number beside the word not there. And that little number will tell you we have some manuscripts that has a little word inserted here. Yet. Um, the, the reason that's kind of interesting is the oldest manuscripts, and this is why it's a, that yet is a footnote in your Bible, not in your text, I hope. Um, is the, the oldest, best manuscripts of Mark say, 
You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast. What we think happened at some point, some good, devout Christian scribe wanted to make sure Jesus didn't lie and insert the word yet in there. Because he's getting ready to go up. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. Um, either way, I don't think Jesus lied. He's not ready to go. It's not time for him to go. I'm not going up to this feast. It was all the brothers deserved to hear. They didn't need to know he would come later, perhaps. Uh, anyway, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after this, his brothers had gone up to the feast. You always go up to Jerusalem, remember? He had, uh, after this, all his brothers went up to the feast. Then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Y'all can cogitate on that one for a while. So he does go to the feast. He just doesn't go when his brothers go. He shows up about the middle of the feast. Remember I said Sukkot is a seven or eight day festival, depending on where you're celebrating it. It's a seven or eight day festival. He doesn't go up. Evidently the brothers went up to be there when it started. He doesn't go with them, but he does go. He goes up privately. He gets there about midway through the, through the festival. Um, I'll let y'all cogitate over why why he did it. I mean, I think it's probably clear that he just didn't want to do what his brothers told him. He's not going to let these unbelieving brothers call the shots. Um, but he still waited a while, and then he still went to Jerusalem, um, kind of secretly, privately, to be there for, for the... And we're going to see later, he really wants to be there at the end for some good reasons. He wants to be there at the end of the celebration of Sukkot. So he really just kind of shows up in the middle of Sukkot. So that's probably a good place to leave you with that question hanging. Uh, that's probably behavior you haven't noticed Jesus carried out. Sent his brothers on, you know, and then I'm, I'm sure his brothers got shocked at one point and they look up and there he is. He's in Jerusalem. He, he came. But he just was not going to go when they went. Maybe he didn't like their company. I don't know. He wasn't going to let them control him. He wasn't going to go with them when they went, but he does go up to the feast. So we'll pick up probably at verse 10 next week. Let me make a note so I'll know that. If not, y'all can remind me we'll start at verse 10. So that's Jesus and the beginning of Sukkot.